Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. I know. If you were like me, you were watching football games all night last night, right? Roll Tide. Yeah, Roll Tide, whatever. <laughs> they can sit at home like everybody else and watch Texas play in the college football championship playoff. Oh, my goodness. Y'all having fun. Um, if you will, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Um, Luke chapter 15, if you don't know... if. You can get it on your app, or if you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the, in the bookshelf in the back. Luke 15, Luke, uh, the, the fourth gospel, or uh, third gospel in the New Testament. If you flip open your Bibles, you want to turn to the right in a little bit until you get to Luke, and then we'll be in chapter 15. Uh, there's, the setting is kind of interesting here of, of what's going on in Luke chapter 15, so let me set that up a little bit. In Luke 14, Jesus is eating with the Pharisees, and if you remember the story... Um, Jesus kind of gets, the Pharisees are kind of trying to trap Jesus. And they ask him about healing on the Sabbath. And, and he, there was a man there, he had a, an issue that de- Jesus ended up healing. And, and the Pharisees were like, should you really be healing on the Sabbath? Because they had real strict Sabbath laws and they didn't do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus kind of throws out to them, you know, hey, if you had a son who was hurt or an oxen who was caught in a, in, a, in a hole or something like that, wouldn't you go get them? Wouldn't you rescue them? And they're like, yeah, we would. Okay, then why wouldn't you heal on the Sabbath is basically Jesus' point. And the Pharisees are kind of trying to trap him. And get him caught in a, in a trap of in questioning him and questioning him, who he was and questioning his authority and, and trying to, because they felt like they were better than him. They were the religious leaders, so they were upstanding citizens and they had everything together. And, and Jesus goes into these, this chapter 14 into chapter 15 teaching parables teaching about stories, about people, about situations, fictional in some ways, true in many ways. And he comes to the end of chapter 15, and he, t- he tells a story that many of you probably have read many times, but I want y'all to kind of step back and look at it again. In Luke 15, uh, let's read that together. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father said saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quick the, quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate how his older son, now his older son in the field, and as, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet... You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours came, who was devoured your property, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, "Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours." It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this young brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he was found. So set the stage here. You've got three characters in this scene. You can identify with characters in movies, right? When you go watch a movie, you can look, watch a movie and see somebody. And you'll, I can identify with him. Well, here, let me give you a little hint. You can only identify with two of these characters in this, in this scene. You can either identify with the one younger brother or you can identify with the older brother. Maybe some of you can identify with the father because you've been in that situation with your own children in some way. But the father here is represented as God. And that's one of the things that we need to realize when we look at this, is God's represented. This story, y'all, y'all have heard the title of the story. You've seen it in your Bibles, you know, in, right here in my Bible. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Y'all have seen that? Any Bible that you ever read, more than likely, that's the title right before this. I, I don't care for that title. Now, I'm not saying that I'm smarter than biblical scholars who who put the titles of, in front of these chapters. Now, they weren't originally there. This is, this is all added in because I think it has more to do with the parable of the waiting father. And he's waiting for two sons, one that is outright rebellious, doing detestable things, and one that is not so rebellious, doing acceptable things, acceptable sins. And I think he's sitting there waiting for both of them to repent and come to him. This morning, I want you to identify as one of the two. Maybe it's one in the past, one in the present. And some of you, it may be, yeah, I was a, a prodigal son and I rebelled. And now I'm, oh, man, sometimes I do get a little, I feel like I'm a little uh, legalistic in, in setting my ways. This is the scene that we have here if we were to look at a movie. If you, if you were to take this story, which is a great story, it's literary, literally a literary masterpiece, I guess is the way to say it. Um, Jesus is telling the story, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story, and, and you have this story going on, but you also have to understand the setting and what's going on here. 
Jesus is just eating with the Pharisees, and more than likely, there are Pharisees around him when he's telling the story, and they're probably on one side. And then there are the friends of the guy he had just healed earlier in the first part of chapter 14. And they're looking at the situation, and they're hearing the story, and they're looking at it going, yeah, they over there, that's them, and they over there, that's them, and they're identifying who's who in the story. Or they may be identifying and saying, yeah, that's me. It all depends on the perspective of what's going on in the situation in the person's life at that point in time. And these characters are represented by the people that he's telling the story to. Those who have committed detestable sins and those who have committed what we might call respectable sins. People who've lived the right kind of life, but down underneath there's some kind of boiling anger or frustration with their situation. So let's get into the story. The first scene opens up of the story, and, and you have a wayward lad, a young man who is chomping at the bit to get out on his, he, out on his own. He's, he's, he's wayward, and he's, he's not quite, he's ready to get out. He's home, but he's not satisfied. And, and many of y'all probably can identify with that. You, you graduated high school, and you, you felt like, hey, I'm ready to go. Let's go have, live life and have fun. You know, maybe you went to college and had a little fun. Maybe you went out and worked and started having fun. Whatever it was, you were ready to go. And this is, y'all can identify with this mindset of, hey, I'm ready to get out on my own and do my own thing. And this young man, he's ready to go. And he goes to his dad, and he tells his dad, Father, give me a share of the estate that falls to me. Now, according to Deuteronomy 21, 17, what would happen in this situation if there was two sons? The older son would receive a double portion of the inheritance, and then the younger son would receive a third of the inheritance, okay? And so he was, as a younger son, he was entitled to a third of whatever his father had. And so he goes to his father and says, hey, I want my inheritance. I want my third. I want what's mine. I'm ready to have it. And his father divides the wealth among them. He most likely is looking into his young son's face and going, you have no idea what you're about to get into. How many fathers have been in that situation before? Looking at their children and going, you, okay, you can go that route. Might not be the best idea. And he's looking at his son and he's thinking of all the things he could say or might try to say, but he knows deep down in his heart his son has set his sights on what's out there and he's ready to go. So he divides it, knowing his son must make his own choices, but still wanting to hold on to his child. The son goes away. He's gone but miserable in scene two. We see that. He goes away. Not many days later, he packs his pack, he, he casts off the harness of his childhood, steps onto the road, and he steps out and starts walking with his pockets bulging full of everything that he has been given by his father. And as the boy disappears over the horizon, the father probably looks out upon him, silhouette, and a little bit sad, a little bit heartbroken that his son is walking away. He's wondering what's going to happen to him when he gets sick. 
He's wondering if he'll ever remember his dad, his brother, his family. He's wondering, will his son be safe? As, as this boy walks away, and this particle journey leads him to a far country, a distant country, a land flowing with temptation, a land flowing with milk and delectable honey. And he sets out living the bachelor life. Probably has a sign up in his room saying, eat, drink, and be merry. He's ready to go. He's ready to live his life. He's got his money. He's got his freedom. He's got his, everything he would ever want in his life, and he's ready to take off and go. And right away, he finds a pack of shallow friends that are ready to help him spend all that money. And he lives his life out the way he wants to. Maybe it's for a few weeks. Maybe it's for a few months, depending on how much money was in this, given to him in this situation. But he's living it up, having his best life now, and he's ready to go. And as long as he can cover the tab, everybody around him is happy to be around him. And as long as he's full of fun and laughter and life, everybody's happy to be around him. But once that goes away, things start to change in this young man's life. He finds himself in a country full of people he doesn't really identify with probably. And there's a famine that comes along the land and he's sitting there ready, looking around going, what am I going to do? My money's run out. Life is getting hard and difficult and I don't know what to do. So he hires himself out. He goes out and gets a job. Now, he doesn't get any job. He gets a job with a landowner. The landowner says, hey, why don't you go out and feed the pigs? Now, Remember who Jesus is talking to in this situation. He's got Pharisees over here. He's got other people that are Jews over here, and they're looking at him, and he says, yeah, this guy goes out. He hires himself out to the landowner. The landowner goes out and tells him to go feed pigs, and they're probably looking at him going, what? Because if you don't understand, feeding the pigs is probably like the lowest thing you can do as a Jewish person at this time. And probably one of the lowest jobs, menial jobs you could have. And he, Jesus is describing the depths of despair this young man was in and the depths of, of where he had to go to continue living his life. I'm looking at an audience of a lot of people, and I'm sure there's somebody in this audience can identify with this young man. They've been there, done that. In their past life at some point in time, And they're looking back at their life and going, man, why do you have to bring this up, Chris? There's a reason I bring it up, because there's a reason you live that past life now, and God can redeem it. This young man is sitting there, and he's at the point of despair, and he looks up at the pigs. He's ready to eat the pig food. Now, I've been in some hard places at times in my life. I can say there has never been one. I grew up, my, dad, my grandfather had a farm. He had cows. He had chickens. He had pigs. And I would go out when I would go visit my grandfather on his farm. We would feed the pigs. We'd feed the chickens. We'd feed the cows. And I can tell you not one time in my life did I ever have any inkling of a desire to try to taste and see what pig food tasted like. Because what my grandfather fed the pigs wasn't the best looking stuff in the world. It was nasty. 
There is a reason it's called slop. Okay? Now, I, I can't imagine this kid, how desperate this kid is that he's looking at the pig food going, man, I am so hungry, I'm ready to eat that. I can't imagine that. But for some reason, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, man, I'm hungry, I'm starving, and these pigs right now are eating better than I am, and I'm ready to try it. And all of a sudden, a light bulb goes off in his head. And he thinks to himself, you know what? I'm serving a guy in this country, feeding pigs. My father's got animals and servants that run his land. And they're eating better than I am right now. He starts developing this speech in his mind of what he could do. He could go back to his father and he could tell him, yeah, dad, I, I'm sorry, and, and it, just let me be a servant. And he starts developing this mindset, this attitude, this thought process that maybe, just maybe, if he begged, God, begged his father, his father would say, yes, son, you can be one of my servants again. And he could be treated just okay. Some of you have been that way with God. God, if you just accept me back, I, I'm, I'm just fine being, I don't, I don't have to be fully a child. And some of you are still living in that mindset, like you, you don't quite fully accept the love that God has for you because you're still living in the mindset of, hey, I, I, if I could just be a servant, I'll be okay. And you're still living in that mindset of, if I could just, just grasp a little bit of God's kingdom, a little bit of God's glory, I, I could just be okay, and I'll be just fine, and everything will be just great just because I've got a little bit. And God's, we've got a little more story to tell, but you're going to find out there's, there's a lot more than that. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself, and we said this pigs and he fed the pods and the pigs ate and no one gave him anything verse 17 says but when he had come to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but i perish here with hunger i will arise and go to my father and i will say to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants he gets up and he starts walking, thinking probably the whole time, you know, if he's like me, I, I got to formulate the speech, right? I got to get the right words to say to my, my father. I got to say the right things. I got to do the right things. I got to act the right way. And he's probably gone over the speech like hundreds and hundreds of times before he reaches us the, near his homeland. And he is walking along and we get to scene two or scene three. And where we have returned in repentance, and scene three opens with the father probably standing on his front porch. He might be working out in the field near the home, near the road that his son had walked away on. And this is why I like to call this the story of the waiting father. The scene here is my favorite scene. What we see happen here is my favorite part. Because the father probably every day 
since he saw his son's silhouette disappear over the horizon. Every day he walked out the front door of his home and looked down that road that his son had walked down, hoping to catch another glimpse of his son. Every day he probably sat out in the field, working the fields with his servants, and looked out on that same road and hoped to catch a glimpse of his son. Every day. And we're told in verse 21, he says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Let me read that again to you. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son starts into a speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and, and, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your child. You all understand what just happened in the scene? If you're older like me, you might remember a singer-songwriter named Wayne Watson. He wrote a song called When God Ran. And it's a story about this parable that Jesus is talking about. In this point in time, this father's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting, he catches a glimpse, and he knows his son's silhouette, he knows what he looks like, he knows it, and he takes off. Remember what I said, who the character of the father is? That's God. If you're a prodigal child in this group here, or you have a prodigal child, this, this is the situation where God runs to them. When the repentance happens, God runs to us. He is ready for us to repent and turn to him. In scene four, we have this forgiven and restored aspect of it. And what happens is, is in, in verses uh, 22 and 24, it says, but the, the son, remember what he said in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy of a child. He had practiced his speech. He got that much out. And then in verse 22, he, he goes on, Jesus goes on with the story. He says, but father, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. He gets one line of his speech out. And the father's like, No. I'm going to take control of this scene. And the father does something that is pretty incredible here. And if you understand the symbolism of what Jesus is talking about in this parable, it's pretty incredible what the father does. The first thing he tells him, his servants, he says, go get a robe and put him on it. The robe represented basically, was a representation of a lot of things. The robe was your bed at night. The robe was, was dignity, was honor. The robe was where you laid your head at night. If you were a slave, you would take your robe and turn it into your master in the morning to get shoes to go work out in the field in the afternoon, come back after your day was done, take those same shoes off, and get your robe back so you could go to sleep on it at night. So the first thing the father says to him, his servants, is get him a robe. Get him his dignity back. Get him his place to sleep back. 
Then he tells him, get him a ring and put it on his finger. Now, this was probably not any ordinary ring. It was probably a ring with a household sign on it telling that person that he's part of this household and that he was belonged to his father's house. So he gives him not only the dignity of having a robe to sleep on at night again, he also gives him the, the position of being a part of the house again. And then he gives him sandals, which means he's not a servant. Remember when I told you about the robe? He gives him sandals. So he's got the robe and the sandals. So he's not a servant. He's not going to be a servant who has to turn his robe in in the morning to get his sandals to go work the day. He's able to have a robe and sandals and a ring. He is given full dignity back into his house, his father's home. Full honor. All the privileges and the rights that are given to a son are given back to him. Some of you have lived as a prodigal and you need to grab a hold of this because you still think that you are not quite good enough to be loved by God the way he wants to love you. You're not quite there yet to be loved by God the way he wants to love you. And God is looking at you going, you are a prodigal. You've returned to me. I love you. Here's your dignity. Here's your honor. Here's your status. Everything is taken care of. You are back in the household of faith. You are now a child of mine. Now we need to start living like it. Not in arrogance or loftiness, but in understanding of whose we are and what he has done for us, that we are truly loved by him. Maybe some of you are, you're sitting on the outside looking in going, I'm the rebel. I'm not living for God the way I should. I'm not doing what God should. Guess what? God's ready, standing there waiting for you to return to him and give you the dignity and the honor that you deserve as one of his children when you put your faith and trust in Christ. And live for him. Are you the son? Are you that child that has wandered away? Wondering if God really loves you anymore? Or God even cares about you? And God is standing there going, yes, I love you. Yes, I care about you. Return to me. And I'll give you the status, the honor, the dignity that you deserve as my child. Close the scene. Intermission time now. If you were to play, this would be the intermission. Sorry, I don't have any drink, cookies or drinks out in the foyer to go grab. So we're going to continue on with the sermon. Come to the fourth scene. Or the fifth scene, this resentful brother, the other character in our story. So far, the story of the older son has been standing in the shadows of his younger son's spotlight. The older son has seen his younger brother act the fool. The older brother has watched his younger brother rebel and go against everything that he'd been raised to do right. And he's looking at that younger brother going, man, what a fool. And just ready and disgusted with him probably. 
And we see this mindset come forward in verse 25 where he says, now his older brother, his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was received back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. This is the older brother who's done everything right in his eyes. He's obeyed his father. He's lived up to the standard. He stuck around, stuck, stuck around and stayed in the family business and took care of the family farm and, and did everything that he was go, supposed to do. And he had this mindset of he was entitled because of what he had done. He was entitled to, to have a certain position and a certain way of life and that he was deserved to be there. And he comes closer to the, the house and he hears the celebration and he hears why the celebration. And in his mind, he's going, what? Why? He says to his father, he comes and meets his father and his father, he says to his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Notice the words here. It's all about I, me, mine. It's all about him and what he has and what he deserved and what he needed and what, what was meant for him. And he is bitter. He's angry, and his attitude shows it. He's scornful. William Barclay described his attitude in three different ways. His attitude shows that his years of obedience to his father has been years of grim duty and not of long service. Secondly, his attitude is one of utter lack of sympathy. He refers to the prodigal not as my brother, but as your son. Thirdly, he also accuses his brother of something that he was never mentioned in the story. Jesus never said he devoured your wealth with prostitutes. We don't know what the son devoured the wealth with. He doesn't know what the son, the other, his brother devoured the wealth with, but he accuses him of devouring it with prostitutes. This is never mentioned. It's assumed by the older brother. That is what happens when your heart becomes hard and bitter is you become scornful and you become angry and you start accusing people of things that may have never been true. While the younger brother was out breaking the father's law, the older son was keeping the letter of the law. However, by neglecting to cultivate love in his heart, his obedience had become hardened legalism. To him, sin must be punished Forgiveness earned and kindness deserved. Repentance must be proven. He had the heart of a legalist. The heart of someone who was ready to pounce on anyone who didn't toe the line that he towed. Didn't live the way he lived. Instead, though, he lived in hypocrisy. The father addresses him with a gentle hand on his shoulder. 
And as Jesus formulates these final words of his stories, we can imagine him stretching out his arms to the Pharisees, the angry, rebellious, legalistic older son, and said in, in verse 31, Jesus says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that time is mine, what is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. Notice what happens. The waiting father treats the obedient son with the same compassion and love and desire for his son to live the life that he know he could, knows he could have, he treats the older son the same way as he treated the younger. Remember the two audiences? You had the Pharisees over here. They kept the letter of the law. They were per- thought they were perfect. They thought they had done everything right. But in their hearts, they had done acceptable sins. Over here, you had all the others. And the Pharisees were looking at this group over going here. Yeah, Jesus, he's talking to you. You're the prodigals. You're the prodigals. You're the prodigals. And then Jesus flips it over on them and says, yeah, but you're the older brother, and you're just as bad as the prodigals. Your heart is hard. Your desire to show love and compassion to people is not there the way God shows love and compassion towards people and wants us to show love and compassion towards people. The younger brother revealed his rebellion through his, in, through, um, in nature through his loose living. The older brother acted out his rebellious nature quietly through pride and intolerance. Society would call the younger brother profligate, wanton, detestable, but the older brother society would call responsible, deserving, and respectable. To God, though, they were both sinners in need of forgiveness. Only the younger brother was found. The older brother, the story remains open. Jesus has a lesson for each type of rebellion, rebel. First, Detestable rebels must face the painful reality of their insanity before they can repent. Jesus says that the prodigal came to his senses. Sin is like a psychosis. It blocks us from thinking rationally. Too often it's not until we have our faces in the pig slop that we snap out of it, our groggy state and mind, and see what is going on around us. It takes great patience to wait for a prodigal to sink to that point. And it takes God's grace to receive them back with open arms. Second is respectable rebels. Must face the awful ugliness of their pride before they can repent. That's what makes it so difficult for the Pharisees. Their arrogance prevents them from admitting their egotist. It takes courage to confront an older brother. And it takes love to forgive them when they finally shed their pride and join the party. That's the way sin works on both ends. It entices us into what we think is acceptable, what we think we should do. Y'all know the, the uh, sirens of Cyrene, right, from Greek mythology? They were half bird, half women. 
sang the most beautiful harmonies that would entice ships in close to the jagged rocks and make them wreck. Sin is that way many times. It entices us. It makes us think we're doing the right thing. It sings a sweet refrain, but we allow ourselves to get so close to the, to the island, to the jagged rocks, and sometimes we end up wrecking our boats. The answer to sin, no matter what it is, whether it's the pride of the younger brother or the pride of the older brother, notice that, though. That's the sin right there for both of them. The younger brother was full of pride of what he wanted to do and what he could do and how he could go out and make his life. The, younger, the older brother was prideful in the way that he lived his life and how he did everything acceptable. Pride becomes before the fall, right? Sometimes we need help. The Greek hero Odysseus, when he came near the sirens, had himself tied to the mast of the ship and his shipmates' ears plugged so they couldn't hear the sirens. He wanted to hear them, but he didn't want to be tempted to go near them in their tantalizing song. The question for you this morning is, what role are you cast in, in Jesus' parable? Where are you? I'll give you all a little insight. Sometimes I do feel like the older brother. I'm a person who's very black and white in certain things, and I'm very, this is the right way, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, don't do this, do this, stay away from this, go pursue this, and I get kind of legal on things. except for when it's my own rebellion. And when it's my own rebellion, oh, it's okay. I'm good in all these areas. I'm perfect in all these areas. I can handle all these areas. Just this one little thing is no big deal. I got a little bit of both of them in me. That's a dangerous game sometimes. Because you think you're right and you think you're in charge but you know deep down inside you're still a rebel. Are you the first son? Have you been the first son? I've said it this couple times in the sermon. If you've been the first son in the past, are you living fully in the understanding of the love and care that God has for you? Are you still living as if you were a servant? Are you living as if you had finished the speech and feel like God had accepted you back to a lowly state? Are you walking fully and freely as his child, fully restored, loved, and cared for? Are you the second one, full of yourself, because you think you haven't, haven't done anything wrong and you've done everything right, but wondering why God hasn't given you what you deserve because of your obedience to him? 
not realizing that God has given you everything you need and you just need to turn around and look at the blessings he has bestowed upon you and be grateful and thankful for how he has loved you and shown his love for you. The Father is ready to forgive each of us no matter what position we find ourselves in this morning. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. God's ready to forgive. God's ready to restore you. Is your heart ready for that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love and grace, and we thank you for the story that gives us insight into who you are and how you love us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us walk worthy of the calling you put on our lives, that we would live as your children. As we celebrate the coming of your son to this earth, Lord, help us realize with that magnificent scene of Jesus coming to earth, God becoming man means for us as your children. And those who are not followers of you, Lord, pray today that they would love, learn that the love that you have for them is great. And that you're standing there ready for them to repent and seek forgiveness and be restored to right relationship with you. We thank you, we praise you in your son's name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.